The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. It's so good to be back together for our podcast. It is so good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to be with you. We've both been on vacation, so it's good to be back together. Well, we have an incredibly important topic today and a very accomplished guest to discuss it. Dr. Angela Linfranchi, president of the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, will join us to talk about the connection between abortion and breast cancer. I was privileged to hear Dr. Linfranchi speak at the National Right to Life Convention in June, and I am looking forward to her sharing this critically important information with our listeners. In addition, Maria will report on one lawmaker's attempts to expand abortion in Pennsylvania. But first, we'll begin, as we always do, with some pro-life inspiration. And I just want to share an interesting experience that I had while I was on vacation. I wrote about it in a blog that I'll be publishing and I will link to in the show notes. But I just thought I would kind of share this story with you today for a few minutes. Um, Our family went to South Carolina to Edisto Island, and um, we had a wonderful vacation, and it was our first time there. And we learned that one morning, um, a team of volunteers would be coming to our beach because there were loggerhead turtle nests that um, were all along the dunes on our beach. And these volunteers would come and check these nests every day, um, and they, they were trained in how to handle them. Now, if you don't know, loggerhead turtles are on a list of endangered species. They are considered vulnerable. So this is a very protected nest. And there's all kinds of warnings, warnings that we had gotten even before we got there about being careful and um, just you know cautious around these nests that are blocked off. So we got to notice that they were actually going to be digging out one of the nests um, early in the morning and that we would be allowed to come and watch the team do that. So. Um, My husband and I, some of our children and all of our grandchildren got up super early in the morning and we trekked down to the beach and we um, witnessed this whole process of digging out these turtle eggs. Um, And it was just just an amazing experience. I mean, here we're wanting to protect this beautiful animal species. Um, Some of the turtles had already made it out of the nest. We hadn't seen them because it happens at night. Um, But the reason they were digging out the nest was because some of the the, the eggs are kind of the turtles that have already hatched are trapped down deep into the deepest pockets of the nest. And they really need volunteers to kind of dig them out and help them because the turtles don't always have the needed stamina to get to the very top. So the volunteers were digging and digging and digging. We're kind of waiting there with full anticipation, wondering if they find anything. And then, yay, the glorious proclamation that yes, they did find a a living turtle, a baby turtle. And they pulled it out and they showed it to us. And we were all just so filled with joy and awe and they put it in a bucket of sand and we all celebrated. 
Um, and then, you know, more turtles came. And then there came the time when we had to actually put them on the beach and watch them very kind of painstakingly struggle to get into the water. We were not allowed to put them in the water. We were told that they needed to struggle so that they would develop the muscles and the stamina and just everything that they would need to survive in the ocean. So um, that's what we did. And you know, we were kind of cheering them on as they got closer and closer to the water. And we kind of waited for every wave to carry them out, which eventually happened. It was just a really profound experience. And it was very much a pro-life moment that parallels what we do in the pro-life movement and what pregnancy resource centers do every day in trying to rescue human babies who are at risk of death. Um, and I, I was just so moved by this experience with the turtles that I just really felt compelled to write about it. And just a few last um, observations. Um, I was moved by the instinct that the mother had to create a nest that would be very protective of her babies. I mean, that, that's what's natural, our instinct to protect. Um, and I was moved by the turtles' instinct to survive. I mean, they were really eager to live and to swim and to go towards the ocean. They just needed a little assistance. Um, you know, all of this has a parallel to what we do every single day. And I think we have to remember that in the natural world, birth and natural death, these, these, are, these are natural things. These are things that occur in nature. Abortion is profoundly unnatural. Our instinct is to protect life. It's a primal instinct. And we shouldn't let this abortion-saturated culture undermine that at all. We should always remember that our instinct to protect is primal in us. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational segment. Now to our legislative segment. The days of the slogan, safe, legal, and rare are long gone in Pennsylvania. Some lawmakers make no secret of the fact that they do not want abortion to be rare. In fact, they are making every effort to increase abortions in the Commonwealth. A co-sponsorship memo by State Representative Dan Frankel, a Democrat from Allegheny County, is the latest example of this disturbing trend. The proof lies in the subject line of the memo, expanding access to abortion. Representative Frankel wants to expand the pool of providers by having non-doctors perform abortions. As he states, I am introducing legislation that would allow physician assistants, nurse midwives, and certified registered nurse practitioners to prescribe medication abortion. He's referring to chemical abortions, which are rapidly eclipsing surgical abortions as the leading cause of death of preborn babies in Pennsylvania. A number of legitimate safety concerns, both physical and psychological, have been raised about chemical abortions for mothers. Representative Frankel is in the minority in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, but abortion giant Planned Parenthood is doing its best to change that. They are pouring countless dollars into campaigns to replace pro-life lawmakers with pro-abortion zealots. This is why it is incumbent upon voters to know the stance of office seekers when it comes to the life or death issue of abortion. Pennsylvania is home to a staggering 32,000 abortions each year. We cannot afford policies that seek to expand that number even further. 
Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest. Dr. Angela Lanfranchi is a retired breast cancer surgeon who practiced in New Jersey from 1984 to 2017. She is a graduate of Georgetown School of Medicine, a clinical assistant professor of surgery at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, fellow of the American College of Surgeons, and certified by the American Board of Surgery. She was surgical co-director of the Santa Fe Breast Care Center at the Steeplechase Cancer Center in Somerville, New Jersey for 10 years. She is president of the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Its mission is to educate lay and professional communities in risk reduction and prevention of breast cancer through research, publications, and lectures. She is the author of articles concerning abortion and breast cancer risks and informed consent. In her work with the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute over the past 20 years, she has traveled nationally and internationally to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Europe, China, Korea, India, and South Africa, speaking at medical schools, hospitals, universities, cancer organizations, local and national government bodies, and the United Nations about breast cancer risks. We are honored to have Dr. Lanfranchi join us today to share her expertise on a topic of great importance. Welcome, doctor. Great to be with you. Well, I think it would be good to start with the basics. Obviously, a woman's body undergoes a lot of change during pregnancy, even in the earliest days. Can you talk about the changes in breast tissue? Yeah, and that forms the basis, the biologic basis for the abortion breast cancer length. So when you're born, you have little bit of tissue underneath your nipple, that's breast tissue. So there's something called witch's milk, which means that in the nursery, sometimes there'll be a milky discharge from uh, the nipple of, of babies because of the hormone, the hormones that the mother, uh, the baby was exposed to from the mother. And uh, then that settles down, but you have some primitive type one lobules underneath that nipple areolar complex. And then as soon as you start to have your menstrual cycle, where the the estrogen and progesterone hormonal levels go up and down, you start to get development of breast tissue. And maybe you develop some type two lobules, which is more developed, but still most of your uh, breast tissue is, in fact, all of it is cancer vulnerable, meaning that it's especially vulnerable to any carcinogens that you're exposed to. That we don't get mostly cancer resistant breast tissue until after 32 weeks of pregnancy and the most with a full term pregnancy. So Robin Williams always had this little joke that as soon as his uh, wife would get pregnant, he'd know it because the titty fairy would visit. And that's because the breast doubles in volume in the first 20 weeks of the 40-week full-term pregnancy. 
So you double the size, but what are you doubling the size with? Well, it's just immature breast tissue. And that's because the human placental lacogen that the uh, fetus makes, the fetus and placenta makes, enables the mother's breast tissue to fully differentiate and ca be capable of producing milk. So that hormone, human placental lactogen, levels off around 32 weeks. And that's when we start getting the protective effect of a full-term pregnancies. So one of the risks of getting breast cancer is never having a child. And that's because you haven't been able to have a full-term pregnancy that's matured about 85% of your breast tissue to make it cancer resistant. So um, if you stop a normal hormonal pregnancy, before that 32 weeks, you double that woman's breast cancer risk because you've doubled the amount of breast tissue that she made in preparation for breastfeed. And all of that is still immature. Now to give you an idea of the resistance of this uh, immature uh, uh, breast tissue compared to the uh, fully matured, if a woman has no children and smokes, her risk of breast cancer goes up 600%. But if she has had a child and she smokes, it only goes up around 69%. So that's almost a tenfold difference. That's how she gets that protection. So people, about 23% of pregnancies that women are aware that they have um, end in a spontaneous abortion. And you say, well, then what about spontaneous abortions or miscarriages in the first trimester? Would that increase my risk? And it doesn't. Because the reason that pregnancy doesn't continue is that there's either something wrong with the embryo fetus, that it's not making the hormones necessary to continue the pregnancy, or there's maybe something wrong with the mother's ovaries because that she has to make enough progesterone to sustain the pregnancy. And so she's exposed to low levels of estrogen and progesterone. So her breast tissue doesn't start to grow and double in volume. So a lot of times when I was at my office and I talked to women, they say, you know, my period was a little late. My OBGYN told me I had a miscarriage, but I didn't even know I was pregnant. Well, you didn't know because your estrogen levels were low. You weren't sick to your stomach. One of the earliest signs of pregnancy is sore and tender breasts because they're getting bigger and they're growing. That's the same reason they hurt right before your period. So, um, 
what if you had a, a miscarriage or a premature birth in the second trimester? Would that increase your risk? Uh, the the spon uh, spontaneous abortions in the second trimester would increase your risk because those are largely due to something physical that happened to the fetus that caused the pregnancy to end, like the cord got wrapped around the neck and the baby died. Well, she would have a lot of breast tissue that she didn't have at the start of the pregnancy, increasing her risk. So that's the physiologic basis for the abortion breast cancer link. How did um, you discover this connection between abortion and breast cancer? Because it, it's not talked about in the media for the most part. Yeah, it's not talked about in the media, but actually in the 90s, early 90s, when I had decided to become uh, specializing only in breast uh, surgery, um, I was reading my textbook in a chapter uh, called Benign and Malignant uh, uh, Pathology in uh, Breast Tissue. And uh, in that chapter, it stated that first trimester abortions increase the risk of breast cancer. So it was in that for one of the first textbooks that I read kind of cover to cover. And I actually went, one of the authors of that chapter was a PhD doing breast cancer research at Georgetown. So being my alma mater, I went down there and I actually visited with him. And I said, how'd you ever get that in the textbook? And he said, well, everybody who does research knows it's true, but they just don't, you know, talk about it much. And that's what my experience has been. The thing that made me start talking about it to my patients was uh, I had a conversation with the head of risk assessment at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. So she's a Harvard professor, Judy Garber. And when I kind of pressed her on the issue because she hadn't spoken about it in a lecture she just gave, uh, when I subsequently talked to her, she said, look, I know it's a risk. I don't choose to talk about it, but if you wanna talk about it, do some of your own research and talk about it. But it wasn't, but I consider it in my evaluations of patients. And what was interesting is subsequent to that, somebody who's a supporter of BCPI, Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, is a woman, in uh, upstate New York who actually goes to her as a doctor. And when she asked her about the abortion breast cancer link, she denied it, but she admitted it to me as have other professors admitted it to me. And it's, I think it's very significant with all the writing that I've done over, published in medical journals over the years, nobody has come forth and said, no, you have it wrong. You know, this is why what you're saying doesn't make sense or isn't legitimate. But the real tell, I think, is when people do studies on risk factors for breast cancer. So in order to do a study on risk factors, you have to make sure the control group of women 
have the same amount of risk as the ones you're studying. So you can't have, you know, 50% uh, more people in your study group with a family history of breast cancer or one of the genes that increases your risk of breast cancer, the BRCA gene, and expect to get a valid study of a particular risk that you're studying. So those are variables that have to be made as equal as possible between the two groups. Well, all the studies on risk include abortion as a variable. So you tell me why you would include that in the study if you're not acknowledging that it is a risk. And just this past February, there was a paper um, uh, from Australia using uh, United States data. And they were looking at whether cannabis, you know, pot increases the risk or some metabolites of it increases risk which they found to be a very substantial risk factor. So they also found that abortion was a risk factor for breast cancer that was strong and independent of all other risks. So some risks become stronger if there are other things around at the same time, like it's you have a much higher risk of getting breast cancer if you smoke and drink because alcohol is an increased risk factor for breast cancer rather than if you did each of them alone. So they're kind of uh, additive. So I, I, you know, it's there, but <laughs> um, another thing that you're not allowed to say is uh, anything is wrong with the hormonal contraception because we all know uh, that people are the worst things that we can have for climate change. So anything that's going to reduce the number of people like abortion and birth control have to be good. So you can't say anything bad. So if you think about it, um, hormonal contraception changes a lot of things. It, it actually changes your brain. But the reason it changes your brain, it makes your left amygdala smaller. That's why women get depression. They have an increased risk of suicide and suicide attempts. These are all things that are well established in the data, but the way they're linked is two, two ways. One is that hormonal contraception is biologically an abortifacient. So if you're a person that doesn't like the fact that they clone embryos to do research on and then flush the embryos away, or when they do IVF, just decide to indefinitely freeze or discard embryos, then you have to also think about the number of embryos that aren't being allowed to implant after they're uh, formed and growing. And the second thing is, how many people know that nine of a hundred women using the pill will get pregnant? So there's just on the pill alone, not hormonal contraception, just the pill alone. There's 9.6 million women taking the pill. With a 9% failure rate, that's 800,000 unintended pregnancies. 
a year. And we know statistically from Guttmacher Institute that around 50% decide to have an abortion. So there's lots of things to think about. Uh, and, and I think one of the worst things that happen is if you understand how breast cancers are formed, you realize that the more tissue you have that's vulnerable to carcinogenesis, the higher your risk. And that's why second trimester abortions are particularly um, uh, high risk for getting breast cancer. So Janet Daling in 1994, doing work for the National Cancer Institute, found an 800% increased risk in women 18 and under, teenagers, who had an abortion between nine and 24 weeks, an 800% increased risk. Now, what happens to teenagers? Teenagers are usually having irregular periods or they'll miss their period altogether. So when it first happens, they blow it off. After all, they're on the pill. Isn't the pill 100% effective? And then they don't show up with, with finally facing their pregnancy until the second trimester. And then what happens? They have a very high risk procedure done as second trimester abortions are. And then everybody says, oh, we don't want you to have this happen to you again. So let's see. Let's put you on the pill, which is a group one carcinogen for breast cancer, according to the World Health Organization. And um, if we don't think you're gonna take the pill reliably, let's give you Depo-Provera shot. So we only have to catch you every three months. And that doubles breast cancer risk. So for teenagers, this, this information is especially important. Doctor, we, we've just got about a minute left, and I'm wondering if you can tell people how to find out more information about the health risks of abortion. Uh, if you go to uh, our website, bcpinstitute.org. So if you just Google the words Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, it'll lead you to our website. And at the top of the page, there's a tab for resources. And if you want uh, very detailed information about it, you can go under the tab uh, publications because we'll have all these published papers. If you want something a little lighter, you can look at our brochures. All our brochures have the medical references for whatever we say. Wonderful. And Thank so you so much, doctor, for being there. with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State. Thank you for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. Mm -hmm.